One more thing I want to say about water baptism is the concept of ritual cleaning was very familiar to the Jews at that time of Jesus, right? When the temple was built, they actually built these things called mikvahs around the temple, okay? They're essentially the size of a hot tub. They have little stairs that go down and stairs that come up. And before you could enter into the temple, you had to go be cleansed in a mikvah. One thing interesting about a mikvah is that um, it had to be living water. Hello? This is fascinating, right? When I heard that, I thought, God, that's amazing. It had to be living water, which means it can't be carted in from another source. It had to be caught rainwater, and it had to be moving. Anybody know that God is a germaphobe? I mean, I'm a little bit of a germaphobe, and I get that from God, right? Because God is like that. If you look at some of the, the rules that the Jews had to submit to, actually most of them were about hygiene, which is pretty phenomenal. So stagnant water breeds bacteria. So God knew you need to be spiritually cleansed to enter into my presence in the temple. So you have to do that with living water so that you're not also going to be infected. It's fascinating. Anyway, so the way you would go, you would go down into the water, you would disrobe, you'd go down into the water. They had some for men on one side, some for women on the other side. And then you would dip your body into the water to right here once, twice, and then on the third dip, you'd go all the way in. You'd be like fully immersed and you'd come out and you put on like a linen cloth or something like that, like a different outfit, and you go into the temple and then you could worship God. If God has rules like that in the natural, there's a spiritual principle to it, right? So the baptism of water that we receive is a cleansing that happens. You only have to do it once, but not only is it a cleansing, it's a prophetic declaration saying, I have received salvation and I'm moving forward in my new man, right? <coughs> Excuse me. So we have the baptism of water. And then John the Baptist prophesies in Matthew 3, 11 to Jesus. And he says, Jesus is going to baptize you with fire and with the Holy Spirit. So two more types of baptisms that we have, okay? We have the baptism of fire. We're not going to spend a lot of time talking about that, but it's a real thing. You can have heat come over your entire body. I've seen this happen. I've seen people break out into supernatural sweats. Like the amount of sweat coming out of their body is alarming, right? Because the fire of God was doing something in them. One thing the fire of God does, although it's not limited to this, is it cleanses us of unholiness. It cleanses us of the sin or the things that need to go that aren't in our new man, and our new nature. So we can have a baptism of fire. Um, that's all I'm going to say about that. I'm sure I'm leaving you with a lot of questions. That's okay. You can ask me later. And then the other thing is John the Baptist says to Jesus, you'll baptize them with the Holy Spirit. So I want to make a note here that what's the difference between the Holy Spirit and Holy Spirit? Depending on your background and what you're comfortable with, people say two different things, right? I would say to you, if you want to know, hey, who are you married to? I could say to you, I'm married to the Grant, or I could say I'm married to Grant, right? It would be a little weird to say the grant, wouldn't it be? But in our English translation of these Greek and Hebrew texts, it gets translated into the Holy Spirit. But because of our English understanding, we've taken that the to reduce the personality of the Holy Spirit, and we've created a mentality that Holy Spirit is actually like the force in Star Wars, right? Has anybody ever felt like that? Like, like there's an energy here, I can feel it, you know, and you want to get out your lightsaber, and I mean, maybe that's just me, but I have these, like, <laughs> we went to Disney World a couple years ago. I'm a major Disney fan, but it was right after they really started embracing the Star Wars thing, and so we went to all the different Star Wars things, and I was just sobbing in every one. It was, like, really embarrassing. I've told you guys my story of crying through all the churches. I don't know what was worse, crying in a church setting or crying at Disney World, like at this video, but, you know, watching them put all the, the clips together, because when they talk about the 
the force that engages something inside of you if you know Jesus at all, where you start to feel like, yes, that's true. There is this thing that's unseen, right? And it is the Holy Spirit, but it's also Holy Spirit. I'm going to get into this more later, but, but it, have you ever known somebody that wears a lot of cologne? Like, a lot? And so you know they come in the room because you can get a whiff of them, right? They don't even have to be up next to you. You just know. And when I was in high school, it was uh, the Axe body spray, right, which is still really popular, but all the boys, it was like, now I'm ready for school, right? Like, you can accomplish that by taking a shower, but no, you can just douse yourself. That's fine. And so I had a couple friends that you knew when they were there because you could smell them, right? A little bit of cologne does a lot of good. A lot of cologne isn't in another topic entirely. And so when somebody walks in the room like that, you know they're there, but just because you know they're there is not the same thing as being near them or being embraced by them, right? And so we do this with the Holy Spirit. He comes in the room and we get a whiff of his persona, the force, whatever you want to say, the energy that you begin to feel. And so some of us say, wow, that's God. And we stay there, even though if you can see Grant in the back of the room, we're this far, if not farther away from him. We just began to sense his presence. And so then we settle there. But there's a difference between sensing his presence and then being in a hug, right? Being next to him. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit, Jesus gives us this. Uh, I, I, I love gifts. Most of you guys know that. When Jesus tells you, I'm going to give you a gift, you lean in and you go, what is it, God? right? It sounds exciting. For the most part, it should be exciting. Some of the gifts that God gives don't always feel good at the beginning, right? But over time, you can look back and see, oh, wow, that was a gift, Lord. And so when Jesus is leaving his disciples, the last thing he says to them is, I'm giving you a gift. Wait for it. So if Jesus knew that we could not fulfill our place as sons and daughters of God without the Holy Spirit, then why do we think that we can? What has happened in our Christian heritage that has caused us to believe it's okay to live a life with salvation and honoring Jesus, but not with the Holy Spirit active in our life? Jesus himself said, you need this. In fact, he said, it's better for me to go. Think about it for a second. Here's, this is the disciples' best friend. He's their confidant, their cheerleader. He's their companion. He's their Lord. He knows everything, right? Can you imagine giving your life to Jesus where he's physically there and he's telling you what to do? People are providing food for you all the time because they see it's Jesus and they're coming out with little baked donuts and stuff and you're like, wow, this is awesome, right? And then all of a sudden he dies and you're going, what? And then he reappears and then you're going, what? And then he gives all these mysteries to you and then you're thinking, this is amazing. Now we get to walk for years with the resurrected Jesus and he goes, hold up, I about to go, but you need the one who's coming. You actually need him more than you need me here on the earth. But then somehow in our journey, we've relegated it to this force-like presence that we don't, we just leave at a distance. If I referred to Grant as the Grant all of the time, don't you think you guys would pull me aside and say, what, what's going on with that, Rachel? <laughs> Right? Are you living in the same house? <laughs> Are you connected together? I'm like, oh yeah, the grant is awesome. I love the grant. It's like, it just feels wrong, you know? And I'm not saying, I say the Holy Spirit. So I'm not saying if you say that to feel bad or anything like that. But in our minds and in our hearts, we need to understand that when we're saying the Holy Spirit, we're actually talking about a person. 
He's not an energy and a force. He actually is a person. Let me put it this way. When we read the Bible, we can read the Bible through different layers, right? We can look at the Bible from a historical perspective. We can look at it from a cultural perspective. Or we can look at it through the lens of how it speaks to God the Father. Have you ever thought about that? From Genesis to Revelation is the story of God the Father. It's the story of God wooing a people to himself, covenanting them to himself in Israel, and then displaying his nature through them, and then fixing their misperceptions through the cross, and then demonstrating his, his father-like essence all the way through the book of Revelation. We can also look at the Bible through the lens of Jesus. We can say, okay, Jesus, I can see your story from the beginning of Genesis all the way to Revelation, and and not what's even contained in that time frame, right? We can see the story of Jesus. But did you know you can also read the Bible through the lens of Holy Spirit? You can look at it from Genesis to Revelation, and you can begin to say, Holy Spirit, what does this story in Leviticus say about you? What does this story here in Revelation say about you? We can, because he is just as important as a person in the Godhead, or however you want to phrase what we worship as God, he is just as important as God the Father or Jesus the Son. But there's something in us because he's the one that's mysterious and he's not written about as much in the Bible that we don't fully understand. And so there's something in us that often resists him. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit helps us to not do that, right? Jesus, uh, you know, it doesn't, it's not worded like this, but in Acts 2, in that upper room where they're having that upper room outpouring of Pentecost, and a big giant fire pillar comes in the room, and this may sound like crazy, but actually it happened before with Moses and the Israelites when they were leaving Egypt, right? And so they would have known, well, maybe they would have known, you know, maybe they were too awestruck to think, sometimes when you're awestruck, you're logic goes out the door, you know. Somebody in the room, probably Thomas, was like, that's that. (laughs) That's the pillar of fire. And then, as if this is not what happened in Exodus, but God took it up a notch, the pillar of fire broke into 120 little tiny flames and lingered over all of their heads. This is bizarre. It's so bizarre. And so then some, some of us, especially if you heard me speak last week about being a skeptic and trying to approach Holy Spirit from a skeptical you know, persona, uh, some of us go, I'm sorry, that's just too much for me. I would rather watch it on Star Wars or Guardians of the Galaxy or something than actually experience that in real life. So I'm comfortable with the Holy Spirit. We'll just relegate him to an energy force and not actually look at him as a person. See, we're given a portion of the Holy Spirit when we're saved, right? Ephesians, uh, what is it? Ephesians 1.13 talks about when we are saved, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. I heard a pastor put it like this. You could take a cup of water that represents your spirit, a cup of water that represents Holy Spirit, and on your salvation, they are mixed together. So there's no way to separate them. Paul references that when he says that nothing can separate you from the love of God. At that point of salvation, you are mixed, you're done, you can't be separated, Right? But then, and that's a portion, that's a ceiling, but then we get a filling of the Holy Spirit, which we would consider a baptism of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18, Paul is saying, don't get drunk with wine, be filled with the Holy Spirit. That word filled actually means the wind in your sails. It suggests that as in the Greek, it suggests as a person, you're like a sailboat. And when you are filled, it's like the wind of God fills your sail to direct you. I want that. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I I want God to direct me in the places that I'm supposed to go. I want to feel him moving in my life. I don't just want to read the Bible and say, this is a good story. This is interesting. Wow, look at those amazing apostles and then feel like I could never amount to that. 
But Jesus himself says, you're going to do greater things than me. Why? Because when we take the filling of the Holy Spirit, when we are baptized with him, not just once, but every time we need it, we are given the strength to be victorious. See, we are called by, by God as believers to shape the world around us, right? It's the commission in, the, in Genesis. It's still the commission today. It's our job as sons and daughters of God to subdue the earth and to rule it, right? And not in a dictatorship weird way, but in a calling down the atmosphere of love, calling down the atmosphere of grace, of mercy, of, of nonviolence, whatever you want to, whatever part of heaven you want to say. We talk about it here, we call it bringing heaven's ways to earth, right? It's our mandate as the children of God to say, this is with you, God, we are, are doing the things, we are restoring this place to how you designed it to be. But how can we do that if we don't have the Holy Spirit working in our lives. Or should I say it this way? It hasn't been happening with those that don't have the Holy Spirit working in their lives, right? We just live a nice life. We're going to heaven. We've got that seal. It's cool, you know. I, I can worship on Sunday, but the rest of my week is just kind of whatever. But you have this opportunity that the, the first church died for, that they came after that they were so intent about you experiencing the baptism of the Holy Spirit because it's God's gift to you to have a victorious life, to be able to live on another level, to be able to live above the, the challenges of the world, right? I know some people, different denominations believe that once you've got it, you never need it again. I, that's amazing for them. I know for me, when I go through different trials, I need more of Holy Spirit in my life. I need to get closer to him. The Bible calls the Holy Spirit, he gives him a couple different names, the advocate. If you need an advocate in your life, guess what? You have one, right? You need somebody to stand up for you, defend you. You've got that in Holy Spirit. He's called the comforter. Graham Cook says it. Why is he called the comforter if you don't need to be comforted at times, right? He's called the comforter. He's called the advocate. He's called the encourager, the helper. I would call him your best friend. When you get to know Holy Spirit and you let him come into your life, he's the one that helps you let go of those things that you don't know how to let go of. He's the one that helps you deal with fear. He's the one that helps you deal with insecurity, right? He's the, he is the courage for you when you don't have courage. I get excited. I don't know about you. I just want to make a side note here. Um, you know, I love this verse in Ephesians 5 where Paul says, don't get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Um, I, I'm actually, I don't have anything against alcohol. I just personally don't like the taste of alcohol. I'm sort of an enigma person, I guess. A family member of mine told me one time, you just have to train yourself to like it. And I thought, mm, no, thank you. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's an, interesting, uh, it's an interesting topic when you talk about alcohol in the body of Christ. But here's what I want to say about this today. And Paul, this is, I think, what Paul was getting at. People drink alcohol for two reasons, three reasons. They like the taste. That's one reason. Let me put it this way. Not why they drink. People get drunk for two reasons, okay? Reason number one, they think it's fun. I'm not one of those people, but so I can't even understand how you would think that's fun. But I'm not going to judge you, okay? But Paul says don't do it. Anyways, people think it's fun. The other reason why people get drunk, it's a coping mechanism. 
they're dealing with something in their life that they don't know how to deal with, and so they get drunk because it softens, it numbs, it deals with those things that they need coping for. But you know what Paul is saying, what God is saying to you? Don't do that. Don't do natural coping mechanisms. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. When you're dealing with something and you're drawn to something of the flesh, don't do that. That's not going to satisfy you. Come under the presence of Holy Spirit and let him fill you and you will find victory over what you're looking for. It's not so much even an issue of, is it okay for a believer to drink alcohol or not? I mean, I think Jesus settled that with his first miracle, but that's just me. But anyways, you know, and I'm even saying that as somebody who you won't find me drinking in, I mean, maybe 364 days out of the year, and that's probably not, I mean, it's probably more like 600 days a year. You won't find me with a glass of alcohol in my life because I just don't like it. But if that's not you, hey, God himself likes choice wine. Okay, can we just say that? But he doesn't like you dealing with your issues from a natural perspective. He wants you dealing with your issues from a Holy Spirit perspective. You can't do that without the baptism, without the filling of your sails, if you want to call it that. Some, uh, let me just say, let's talk about the gift of tongues for a second. I've been talking about this more lately. Um, but I, I personally am just coming into this place of being able to articulate how important the gift of tongues is. I remember the first time that I encountered the Holy Spirit um, uh, in a setting that was like, we're going to pray for you to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. I was freaked out. I was trying my best to not look like I was freaked out, but on the inside. So what I did was I'll go kneel down with my head down in the corner and everybody will think I'm, I'm praying. But inside I was like, oh, Lord, if you love me, you will not let them see me like invisible cloud. You know, like <laughs> if the force is real, I need it right now to like shield myself from what's happening over there. And a friend of mine, because I was so nervous, I don't, what is the gift of tongues? And I kept thinking, I don't need that because it looked so weird. And I kept thinking, I don't need that. I can go to heaven without that. And that was my grid. Guys, this was such a weird thing to think. If Paul says, under the guidance of Holy Spirit, if God says you need the gift of tongues in your life, then, then the question needs to not be how weird is this? It needs to be, okay, why? Okay, Lord, show me what could be better in my life if I use this gift. Show me if I, had, if I had a filling of your Holy Spirit that led me to pray in tongues, what could be better? I said this a couple weeks ago. I'll say it again. The gift of tongues causes us to pray the will of God. When you are in a bind, when you're wanting to cope with worldly things, you need the will of God in that moment. Our brains cannot always tell ourselves what to do when we're struggling, right? But if I can just go, I'm coming into you, I'm coming in for a big hug, Holy Spirit, and let the gift of tongues be activated, then I can have God lead me through some of the darkest times when I don't even understand what's really going on. That's what the gift of tongues does. Some people believe that you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit unless you have the gift of tongues. I don't believe that because that's not what's in the Bible in 1 Corinthians when Paul says everybody should eagerly desire it, but he doesn't actually go on to say, and you don't have it if you don't pray in tongues, right? But, there's, there's a, a, but it's for every believer, okay? Let me say a couple things about what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is and what it's not. I think one of the most common, if not the most common sign that you've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit is boldness. It's the most common theme in the Bible. It's the most common theme we can see when somebody is filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a boldness that comes out. Maybe not in your outward life, but in your inward life. There's a boldness that comes out when you pray what you believe. Your guts to step up to the plate about something. Boldness begins to happen. That's, that's a fruit that you've received that filling of the Holy Spirit. And I'm talking about for the first time. Once you get familiar 
with how this works, then you just know when you need it and you know when you got it, right? It becomes like second nature, like um, plugging into a, an electric socket. It's either plugged in or it's not. So another thing that the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit does in our life is it causes us to live a lifestyle of Jesus. It helps us to live like him, right? It helps us. The Holy Spirit brings conviction but not condemnation, I think this is something that people get mistaken about, and this is part of why I think people are comfortable with Holy Spirit as a distance with the the instead of intimately, because we don't always know what's the difference between conviction and condemnation. Condemnation makes you feel bad. It makes you feel shame. It makes you want to hide. When you feel like you did something wrong or you failed and you withdraw, that feeling is condemnation. When Holy Spirit convicts you, it looks like this. Hey, did you know you've been doing that lately? Oh, I have been doing that. And there's nothing bad about that feeling. It's like an awareness that, that comes. And then you think to yourself, yeah, I shouldn't do that anymore. And then you don't. That's conviction. Over here where we, where we have that thought, wow, I, I've been doing that, mm, that's bad, right? Because I'm measuring what I'm doing compared to someone else or compared to the word, and I'm going, what, and I'm going wow, that's bad, I need to not do that anymore. And then, I, I, and then a lot of us go into this sort of self-talk thing where we start to say, why do I do that? I'm so stupid. Oh, if I could just, if I was like this person, oh, then I wouldn't, right? And we go into this critical thing. That is condemnation. If you feel that happening in your life, guess what? There is now no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So you just... Get those thoughts out. If you guys watch John Christ, he's a, a, a Christian comedian. He cracks me up. I watched something he did the other day where he was talking about what's the Christian life is, is uh, flushing away all the bad thoughts. Did you guys see this on Facebook? And he was like, oh, nope, keep that thought going. Oh, grab that one down. That was God, right? And keep it going. And that's how we do with our thoughts. And we start to feel condemned. We just move on by. That's not Holy Spirit. Because Holy Spirit leads us to be trained, to be taught, to be more like Jesus, but it's always through peace. Because only he can do that. It's always through joy. Every moment that I've felt convicted of my sin, there's been times that it was felt heavy, but more often than not, even in the heaviness, it's hopeful because he is the one leading me into something new, right? So if you feel this condemnation, that's not from God. I think that sometimes we've, we've thought that this over here was conviction, and then it makes us feel bad, and so we distance ourselves from Holy Spirit. When God is the one whose arms are open saying, come to me, anybody who's weary, what happens when you're weary? You're not, you're not doing good things when you're weary, right? But God says, come to me. Ephesians tells us to boldly approach the throne of grace with confidence, Right? That's the open-heartedness of God. But when we have convinced ourselves that what we have felt that's condemnation, that we've worded it as conviction, then we distance ourselves from the very one who's there to comfort and help you. So the Holy Spirit, baptism, causes us to live a lifestyle of Jesus. And the last one I want to know, although there's way more, is there's a fullness element that comes. There's a fullness that comes when we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, where you feel good about yourself. You feel good about your life. Let me say a few things about what it's not, okay? The Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and I would relegate this also to when we have times of impartation or a touch from heaven where you have a manifestation of God in your life, is not a quick fix. And also, it's not instant maturity. Just because you have the baptism of the Holy Spirit in your life does not mean that you are a mature believer, <laughs> Unfortunately, but it doesn't. Why? Because the process of sanctification goes hand in hand with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's not one or the other. 
It's like feet, right? I want to I submit myself to the process of sanctification. What does that mean? The Bible puts it this way. We are saved, but we are also continually being saved, right? We are saved and sealed by the Holy Spirit, but then we are continuing to come into areas of our heart that are at war with God, and that part needs to be resaved, right? So it's not a matter of are you going to heaven or hell. It's a matter of am I fully submitted to God. So as I am being saved, we call that the process of sanctification. That process looks like conviction from the Holy Spirit. Hey, Rachel, did you notice what you're doing over there? You're right, Lord. I don't want to notice that, but thank you for drawing my attention to it, right? And so it goes hand in hand, or it goes step by step. If we're, we can hop our way to the finish line, you can hop your way to the finish line through sanctification and never have a baptism of the Holy Spirit, and you can have a baptism of the Holy Spirit and hop your way to the, to the finish line and really not be, have holiness working in your life. But God designed it to go hand in hand, step by step, to move you forward in balance, in peace, in wholeness. That's good, Rachel. <laughs> so it's not instant maturity. I think it's crazy when people have experienced God breaking through. When you have a physical manifestation, what do I mean by that? God is the God of all everything. And sometimes he chooses to come and touch our physical bodies. And your physical body cannot hold that. Okay, so things happen. We begin to um, cry. You can begin to, to wiggle. You can begin to laugh. You can begin to shake. What's happening here? <laughs> you can begin to tremble, right? All of these things happen under the power of the Holy Spirit, not because you're some superstar or doing something amazing, but because the God of heaven touched your body and your body can't handle it. Have you ever seen somebody tased, right? They don't want to be on the floor, but they are. They can't help it. A lot of them pee their pants, right? They're not trying to do that, but your body gets overridden with a power source. Now, thank God I've never seen the Holy Spirit move in someone that's led to that, um, just for the record. But when, when we are plugged into a power source, sometimes we have a physical reaction, right? Sometimes it happens. But just because you had that doesn't mean that now you're the authority on all things of Jesus, it doesn't mean that it's, a, it's not a status symbol like, I've experienced this. Oh, you haven't? Oh, well, you really better go to get that, you know, in a way that's like shaming, right? I think we should all be, you haven't experienced that? Let's do that right now because you don't even know what it's like to feel alive in God. Not, oh, sorry for you. Well, you should listen to what I'm going to say because I have had that, right? It's all Jesus anyway. Anything you do in the kingdom that's successful came from God. There's nothing you can really take credit for anyway. So why do we take credit for this? As if I'm so holy that God chose me out of a room of people to zap and look like a crazy person in that moment, right? And now I'm going to emerge victorious like a sinner from the ashes that can now tell you what's wrong with your life? No. Right? Have you ever known somebody that does that and you're just like, what? But then what happens, and this is part of how religion has gotten such a hold of our churches, is that what happens is then we don't know what conviction and condemnation is. So we start to feel that and we start to feel bad about ourselves. And then we start to go, well, I can make myself a real nice and neat plate here. And I can set my fork just like so, right? And we do that about Jesus. And I, this is how I spend time with God like this. And, and we, we make a formula because we don't understand that that person wasn't representing Jesus, we don't understand that this is condemnation and, 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 and that we're withdrawing from God. 
I don't want anybody to withdraw from God. I want to tell you testimonies to get you excited. I don't want to tell you testimonies to make you feel bad about yourself. That's not the way that it works. But the enemy is a liar. And you know what he hates? He hates you loving Jesus. See, there's about three different levels that we can experience God when we're saved. We can have a knowledge-based relationship with him where I know you, God, and I, I have a reverent fear of you, and this is not a bad thing. I have a reverent fear of you, and, you know, I don't want to be smote, and I don't want to be smited, and so I will do everything I can do to stay in line with what I read in the Word because I understand you. And our confidence of our salvation comes from what we know in our minds. And then God will lead you to a place from there some of you ne may never have experienced that, but there's a lot of us that do. And then we, we are led to this second level, so to speak, where in this place, our, re our reality about Jesus is, wow, God, I love you. I am enamored by you. This is amazing how you do that. But then we go to a step further, thanks to the Holy Spirit, where we can say, I am in love with you, Jesus. See, there's a difference between saying, I love you, God, and I'm in love with you. I can say to all of you guys, I love you, but the only person in this room I'm saying I'm in love to is Grant, right? The Grant. is the Grant. That's the only person in here. The Grant. I'm in love with you, right? There's something about this intimacy that happens that, that, that the marriage gets to be a reflection of that, but it's all available to us in the kingdom of God, and through the Holy Spirit is how we come to this place where we can say, I revere you as God, Lord. You are so fascinating to me and I'm enamored by the way you do these things and I am in love with you and I have a connection with you that's deep and powerful and intimate and and that's what the Holy Spirit does clearly I'm not a man okay but I understand that for some men it's a challenge to be able to say to Jesus I am in love with you I've listened to several men in my life share that. It's an uncomfortable thing right I've heard some men say it's not it's not enjoyable to call myself the bride of Christ right? I get that. But I would say to you that even the disciples had been able to cultivate a depth of love and intimacy with Jesus so much so that they were panicking when he was leaving them. They panicked at his death, and they panicked even more so when he left to say, here's the Holy Spirit, right? So there's a place you can come to, even in your masculinity, masculinity that's a powerful, intimate relationship with Jesus. I obviously can't model that for you because I am not a man, but I want to say to you, don't ever feel like you have to hold yourself at a distance because of a thought like that, because that's not God. A lot of us haven't been able to experience what a father-son relationship can be like with tenderness. Most of you guys in the room, I know you as dads enough to know that you are great dads, and there's a tenderness component in you, but a lot of the world does not get to experience tenderness from a father figure. But that tenderness that we experience from our earthly dad leads us into that intimate relationship with God the Father. Right? And the Holy Spirit helps us do that. <clears throat> okay. So, transition here a little bit. I want to talk about one more thing. I want to make sure I don't run out of time. So you guys feel like you're understanding the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Okay, if you've already had it, you're going to have an opportunity to have some more today. If you've never had it, you're going to have an opportunity to experience that today. Um, and I want to say this before I jump into this other, other thing. Um, 
Okay, the first time that I ever fell over by the power of God, um, I'm going to tell you this story. It's, it's horribly embarrassing, but someday when we're all in heaven, you'll probably find out anyway, so I'll just tell you now. So um, I was at a women's retreat, and the speaker there was a prophetess, a prophetess, and um, and I was probably, I don't know, maybe 22 years old or so, 23. I was married, a young married woman. And I was at this retreat, and um, she had, the night before, she had done ministry time, and all these people were falling over. I had seen it before, but it freaked me out, okay, like badly. And, uh, and so I was in the corner on the side. I was in the room, guys, right? I wasn't, I talked about the pool party analogy last week. I wasn't avoiding the pool. I was in the room, but I was really struggling, um, and I didn't understand, and I'm going to talk about how to combat that in a minute. But um, here I am in the side. And she said, if you're, if you're between 18 and 25, there's a special something God wants to do for you. I want you to get on down here. I want to pray for you. And I was like, mm-mm. Yes, I am in that age category, but Lord, no, thank you. And I began, physically began to feel my knees like trembling. And the next thing I know, I'm walking to the front. Has anybody ever had that happen? I love hearing testimonies of people with an altar call that are coming to get saved. And they're like, I don't know what was happening. I started thinking in my heart, I want that. And the next thing I know, I'm walking down the aisle. I don't know if it's like an angel gets up and moves your legs or what happens or the force or, you know, what happens. I don't know. But the next thing I know, I'm walking down and I was freaking out. And I'm standing in this line and I'm going in my head, what am I doing here? And outwardly, I'm like trying to play it cool. Anybody ever been in a situation like that where you're like, mm. <laughs> just trying to play it cool and inwardly I'm and like out of nerves and scariness. And so um, all I could do, because now I couldn't leave and I tried to leave, okay? I tried to leave and my legs were locked. And I was like, okay, I don't know. And I, I wish so badly that I could go back and be like, Rachel, he's a really good dad. He's not going to do something bad to you. It's a really good thing. He wants to fill you so that you can overcome these challenges that are in your life. But that was not where my head was. And so I'm trying to leave and I can't. So all I could think to do was I clenched my fists. I was that person in the prayer line. And I closed my eyes and inside it sounded like this. Oh God, 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 oh God. And I like opened my eye out of the corner like because I didn't want to move. I didn't want to look like I didn't know what I was doing. Anybody ever relate to that? And so I looked out of the corner of my eye and I could see one by one they were falling over. And I just go, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God. And then I opened my eyes and I was on the floor. That's what happened. I don't remember there was, I don't know what happened. The next thing I know, I was on the floor. I never felt anybody touch me. I'm sure somebody caught me because I think I would have known if I didn't have a catcher in that moment. But I'm on the floor and I'm like, now what do I do? Right? And like we always think when you're watching someone experience the Holy Spirit that their brain is like not turned off. But that's not the way it is. Our spirit is interacting with God and our brain is also having thoughts. There was another time that I experienced the power of God, and we're going to talk about this in a second, where I was laid out on the floor, and I could not physically get up. There was a weight of the presence of God on me, and I was on the floor. And it was a concrete floor at a youth camp, and it was not where you will normally find me being. And so I'm, I'm laying on this floor. I had just had this dramatic encounter. I had seen a, a picture of a healing angel that was in, like crazy and large, and I had given this prophetic word at the camp, and, and several other people had, had seen this as well. So this is not like a puff-me-up story because it really had nothing to do with me. And um, like 23 or so kids got, say, uh, got healed at that camp that time, that night. This healing angel had come in, healing swept through. I mean, people didn't need their crutches. I think three kids were healed from asthma. I mean, it was wild and crazy. And so I had removed myself to the back of the room because I was sort of undone by the magnitude of God. And next thing I know, I'm on the floor, not because I fell out under his power or anything, but I was just like, wow, I got to sit down. And then I couldn't get up. And then I'm going, I 
this is bad, Lord. And so the whole time I'm like, my brain is thinking, get up off the floor, Rachel. You look like ridiculous. And it's dirty. And it's really dirty, Rachel. Get off the floor. Like, you guys know I don't like to be dirty. And I'm, I'm like laying on the floor and I'm going, like trying to get up. And I'm going, well, that's not going to happen. And I heard the Lord say to me, I'm not done with you. Just wait. But he wasn't telling me what he was doing. I still don't know what he was doing just to be honest. So sometimes our brains, because we are body, soul, and spirit, sometimes our body is not totally aware of what's happening in our spirit. It's also a parallel to what happens when you pray in tongues. Anyways, so I'm, ha- so I'm, um, this is, that was what it was like the first time that I experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Thankfully, the lar- longer I've gone on with the Lord, the more comfortable I've become to where now I can approach a ministry time saying, God, I'm expecting about what you're going to do instead of, I really don't belong here, Lord. What are you doing? Right? Grant can attest I'm, I'm light years past where I was when I got started. But here's what I want to say and what I've, what I've been learning about myself and people who struggle with this like me is that what I think I needed And what nobody bothered to tell me was to get my eyes off of myself and get my eyes onto Jesus. To get my eyes off of what I was seeing and looking like and get my eyes onto what is this going to mean for me in my life, God. So in other words, not saying, gosh, I'm being judgmental by what I see because I don't know what God is doing in your life when you're experiencing the Holy Spirit. But instead of focusing on that, going, no, that is not for you. You are to look to God and say, God, I need you to come into my life because if I had been half as filled as I am now back then, my life would have been so much better. So much less heartache, so much less sin, so much less challenge, right? And all because I didn't know how to look to God and say, Lord, if you want me to be filled so that I can be victorious in my life, then fill me up twice over and give me a little doggy bag with some extra to keep pouring on me later, right? But what happens is, and and this is something that religion does, and not religion like, like the spirit of religion. See, the spirit of religion wants you to have a formula so that you eventually don't need God in your life right? I checked the box. I went to church. I read my Bible, checked the box, and we don't need intimate connection. It's like the 1950s June Cleaver style where the husband and wife sleep in separate twin beds or even separate rooms, and that's just normal. Like, we're married, we're in the house, but there's no real connection. That's religion, right? Relationship with Jesus is about saying, I'm going to be with you all entwined, and there's going to be messy moments, and there's going to be clean, powerful moments, and it's all going to be glorious because... It's God. <laughs> Lost my reference point. Yeah, he'll catch you. Yes, thank you, Jesus. And so it's, it's, yeah. So the reason why I'm saying that is because I know in this room we have the full gamut of the spectrum. We have people who are like, I'm in, cannonball, head first dive, even though the pool is four feet deep and everybody else is going, wait, right? And then we have those of us on the other side that were like me that are going, I don't know what I think about all of this. And I want to say to you, that's okay. You're not, you're not trying to have a certain experience. You're trying to say, God, I just need you in my life. Grant puts it this way. He says, anytime we approach God in a ministry time-like setting, the goal needs to be, Father, what do you know that I need? Sometimes he knows you need to be laid out on the floor, weighted under the weight of his glory. Sometimes he knows you need to be told, I love you. Both of those are equally dynamic. You're not lesser of a person depending on what experience you have with God. Okay, last thing I want to say is there's a difference between the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So we talked about the difference of the seal of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and then the presence of God that's drawn in in a corporate setting, which can also be in your personal home as well. 
But there's a, there's a difference to that. There's a, um, when Revelation talks about the spirit and the bride say come, right? I want to put the imagery in your mind of the cologne example, but a sweet smelling cologne that you want to smell, not one that is repugnant. And so um, what we're looking for, what God is saying is that we say to Holy Spirit, come, right? I have an awareness that I want you in my life. Every Sunday morning, our heart, our prayer is, Holy Spirit, you are free to be here. You guys have heard us say that before. We welcome you to be here. Why? Because we want this church to be a place where God feels like he can kick off his shoes and stay a while. We want this church to be a place where he doesn't feel, have you ever been in somebody's home where you feel like you have to walk on eggshells? You know, and you're just like, you're welcome, but you're not like totally welcome. And you know there's parts of you that definitely aren't welcome, right? And, and sometimes that happens with God. Sometimes, and I'm not saying that's churches per se, but in our hearts, we can say to the Lord, you're welcome, this part of you, but this part, could you not talk? It's like, don't talk about politics at Thanksgiving kind of thing, right? And so our heart with this church is, God, all of you, we are okay with. We want to experience that, Lord. We want, to, we want you to, be, um, to find in our hearts and in this church a place where you feel free to be yourself. That's our heart. And so we say, come, Holy Spirit. And when we say that, guaranteed, he takes a step towards you. He does. It's, it's the Bible truth. He will come when we ask. But he will come more when we begin to embrace him. Right? So I begin, let's put it in the, in the realm of the perfume or cologne analogy. So, so we say, God, Holy Spirit, come. We want you here. And then we begin to smell that he's in the room. Or he's in the building. And instead of stopping there, we say, then we begin to come towards him. And then there's a, a dance that begins to come where then we have this moment where we are collided face to face or heart to heart or embrace whatever word you want to use. And when that happens, all of heaven breaks loose. And there, people call it the Shekinah glory. You can call it whatever you want. It's God and it's amazing. And something becomes accessible in that moment that's not accessible other times right? We could use the word revival. I don't know what word you want to use. Depending on your vocabulary and what you're comfortable with, pick one, right? More of God, whatever. For me, I look at it as, <clears throat> Lord, we want more of you. And what we're going for here in this church and why this baptism of the Holy Spirit is the starting point, it's the springboard. Because if you don't have this, then you don't, you're not familiar with the other, right? And so when he begins to come and then things happen and people get healed, we had a really amazing prayer time before church this morning and Natalie was telling me she walked in and her elbow was really hurting and she was like, you know, I just knew McCovey was going to have a word of knowledge and he didn't. And you know what? Her, as she began to worship God in our prayer time, her arm just got healed. Because when we are experiencing a level of his presence where he's more in the room than just a smell, then things become accessible beyond what we are gifted to be able to do, right? So we're going to be talking about our giftings over the next several weeks, but I don't want you to think that that's the fullness because what we're going for is this deeper place of, of, of consistent, show me more, Lord. Let me put it this way. Moses, who was the most intimate person with God at that time in all the earth, got to a point where he said, God, I need more of you. I'm paraphrasing, of course, and he said, show me. Show me more of you. God's response to him is what? Oh, Moses, you've blessed my heart. I'm going to show you my backside. <laughs> Isn't this so weird, guys? 
I mean, seriously, this is why I love the Lord and why I love to laugh with God, because he has a sense of humor, too. I mean, he could have been like, Moses, I'm going to cause my elbow to pass over your eyesight, and you will be undone. No, he goes, I'm going to show you my backside, right? And so Moses goes, okay, and God says to him, go hide in this hole, and you'll see it pass before you, and you're going to be undone. And he says to Moses, if I showed you any more, you would die, basically, right? It would be too much. Your physical body in a taser-like explosion would just die. And so Moses sees the backside of God, and he's undone. And the Lord was speaking to me about because of the veil being torn when Jesus died on the cross, because of the resurrected power, because of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we have the potential to actually see God face to face. Because of these things that Moses didn't have, hello, this is crazy, right? Some of us like to look and say, Moses was the pinnacle, we'll never get that close. That's actually not true. And he's my favorite, all right? But we can have this experience where, where we say, God, I want more of you. And he goes, I love that in your heart. I'm going to show you my pinky toenail. And we're like, blah, like undone by the pinky toenail. Have you ever had a moment where God took your breath away? And it doesn't have to be, I mean, it could be in worship. It could be reading something, right? You just felt God just show up to you and you're like, whoa, right? And then he says that, and then we, we, we level out at that toenail level and we get comfortable with it. And then we start to get hungry for more. I want to see the whole foot, Lord. Show me the whole foot. And this sounds crazy, but this is what it's like. And as we go deeper and deeper, and he gets more comfortable with our hearts because we're being sanctified into more like him, and we're after his fullness, and we begin to just get to experience more and more of him. I've never met anybody that's seen him face to face in that, but, you know, hey, let's go for it, (laughs) right? Okay, so I just wanted to give you a a taste of that, a heads up of that, because that is... um, corporately where we're headed, corporately to be able to experience more of God. So the last thing I want to say before Grant's going to turn on some music and we're just going to pray is I know that the enemy, this concept, this truth of you living in fullness with the Holy Spirit, with Jesus, with the Father, is the most terrifying thing to the enemy. He will stop at nothing to keep you from experiencing this in your life. There is a resistance when we fly in an airplane and we go up off the ground. There's a resistance. On any, any, there's so many natural parallels to this, right? And that resistance sometimes can cause us to feel like that's not for me or, God, you don't want that for me. But Jesus himself said, all of you need this. All of you need this. The first church, they were adamant to let people experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit because that was when you knew that you had been saved right? That was when you began to experience what fullness is with the Lord. So I I just want to say, if you're feeling any kind of hesitation in you, or you're feeling any kind of like, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, that's okay. He will meet you in that moment as well. And I don't know what he's going to do, but it's going to probably be very tender. If that's where you're at and you need to experience the tender heart of God, that's what he's going to do for you. And there's others of us that you need the gift of tongues. And hey, we're going to pray for that today because listen, you need it. It's important. I mean, I want to be like, it's weird, you know. I remember somebody telling me, a family member told me one time, well, I just think you have some kind of hotline to God that I don't have. And I laughed because I was like, well, it's called the gift of tongues. And it wasn't me saying I'm superior to you. It was just me saying, actually, when your spirit can pray the will of God, isn't that a hotline? Isn't that the red phone in Batman that goes direct to the mayor's office, right? So um, you can go ahead and turn on the music, Grant. Here's what I want to do. If you've never experienced or you don't know to your knowledge that you've experienced a baptism of the Holy Spirit, this is, uh, we're going to say, just don't judge anybody. 
right? Can we just go ahead and say that? We're not going to look down on anybody in this room because it's all God. Here, we're going to set the mood. (laughs) But if you've never experienced that, I want you to come up here to this part of the room. And if you want something more from God, I want you to come up to the rest of the room. And I, I, I might pray over you. I might not. Because what I feel like the Holy Spirit has been saying to me for two weeks now is that he wants to meet with you more than you want to meet with him. So even if you're standing up here with knees clenched, you know, and oh God, oh God, oh God, do that. Just get yourself up here so you can experience him. We're going to just let the music play for two songs, and we're going to let heaven break out in your heart and fill you up. Are you guys ready? All right, so come on up if you want that. I'm going to pray. Holy Spirit, we just welcome you again in this place. We just say, let your fire fall. We ask for the baptism of the Holy Spirit to be released right now in the